Well, I'm sometimes tempted to ask my husband why it is that we are spending so much money on several different streaming services. The film Nyad has convinced me that I'm not quite ready to let go of Netflix. Starring Jodie Foster and Annette Benning, Nyad offers a powerful tell of the fierce commitment of swimmer Diana Nyad, who embraced the massive challenge of swimming the hundred miles that separate Havana, Cuba from Key West, Florida. Moving arms and legs through the water for 60 consecutive hours is not something I can imagine any of us has ever dreamed wanting to do let alone after having four unsuccessful attempts. But Diana Nyad could not let go of believing that her physical body could carry her through the water without a tank protecting her from sharks swimming alongside of her. The failed attempts that are all depicted in the film are gut wrenching, making you wonder why on earth this woman would want to continue battling a mix of salt water, commanding waves, and poisonous jellyfish, while trusting those on the boat traveling alongside of her to be able to fend off any sharks. But Nyad keeps on moving, one arm in front of another until she finally reaches to where the coast of Florida is in sight. As she inches closer and closer to the shore, it becomes clear that Nyad's breathing is as shallow as the water beneath her body. And then it comes time for her to stand up on her two feet and walk through the water until both ankles are above the water, which is the indication that she has completed this massive, impressive feat. At this point, everything in her body is labored. While her swollen face and eyes reveal what salt water can do to any tender surface. And with about 10 feet remaining and her confidence waning, her dear friend and beloved coach, Bonnie Stoll, literally jumps in the water, stretches out her arms toward Nyad, and says, come towards me. I'm right here. Keep moving. I am right here. I've got you. I am with you.
people to whom Isaiah writes are living through the consequences of failed Assyrian power. It is a failure that has led to them being brutally oppressed. Resources are restricted, movement is all monitored, military might has revealed the capacity to take and to destroy instead of to give and protect. Hope is hard to muster and joy. Joy, even if it is embraced as an act of resistance against the forces of despair, is all but impossible to feel, let alone to sustain. But God has not abandoned the people of Judah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The rod of the oppressor is being broken. The boots that are worn in war are all being burned. What the people most need now is here because a child, a child has been born. When the Judeans heard of Isaiah's prophecy, when they heard the word child, they would have immediately thought about the standard Judean ideology, an ideology which believed that the king was reborn as God's son at the time of a king's coronation. And indeed, this royal agent about whom Isaiah writes is bestowed with all the names that we regularly give to God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And through this agent, authority grows instead of diminishes. War is replaced with endless peace, and the one on the throne is known not for greed and oppression, but for justice and righteousness that flow through his path. The exilic power of abuse and suffering is finally over. It is now time to re return home to restoration. And I wonder, I wonder if King Hezekiah had to coax these people, the people who have been living in darkness, into believing that peace and prosperity, wholeness and joy are actually possible. After all, how does one embrace freedom when one has only known bondage? How does one grasp the power of a life that is overflowing with light when one has only known how to stumble around in the darkness? How does one summon the capacity to have hope when there are oh so many tangible reasons to instead experience despair? I suspect that King Hezekiah had to regularly dwell with the people in their presence. The king Hezekiah had to care for them in a way that revealed how he was the antithesis to his father's failed leadership. 
for the people to ever begin to trust him, let alone begin to believe that a future with hope and joy was actually in their midst. And I wonder also about us. How do we believe that a light has actually come for all the people when there is so much darkness darkness ranging from the violence in this city to fierce fighting that has impacted the region where Jesus was born in ways that we cannot even begin to fathom or comprehend how do we lean into joy when so many of our steps are instead punctuated with despair? How do we seize wholeness when we know what it feels like to be paralyzed by fear? How do we claim our belovedness when we've only been told that we'll never measure up to even being enough, how do we keep on moving when the odds are sometimes so seemingly stacked against us? Throughout scripture, Yahweh has a fierce capacity and resolve to bring about a newness a newness that is completely fresh, a reality that represents the complete break from all that has come before, a transformation of people and places and systems and situations that have once been rendered impossible. And while our world has had a few leaders who have paved a way of peace, None of us have yet to experience a world of endless peace where justice and righteousness are the norm forevermore. But everything, everything changed on this night when a child was born in a borrowed barn in Bethlehem. A child born for us. A child born who is with us. Christopher Seitz explains how the repetition of the Hebrew word that is translated for us, to us, in Isaiah 9, 6, evokes the promise of the name Emmanu, which literally means with us, and from which we get the word Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah repeats over and over again that God is for us, to us. Emmanuel then came, God with us. Jesus born for us and to us. Jesus who reveals how God is always, always with us. That God is with us. That God is for you. For you. The prophet Isaiah suggests 
that the people who walked in darkness can now rejoice as with the joy at the harvest. Rejoice as if the joy at the harvest. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann explains how harvest is a time when all of the crops are finally secure. And now that there's no threat of rain or drought or destruction, the people can rest. There's no need to keep on worrying. Provision has come. There's no need to fear. Beloveds, I can quite easily testify that life is oh so beautiful. And that life is oh so hard. I don't know what fills you with sadness instead of joy. What causes you to feel fear instead of peace? Anxiety instead of wholeness? Despair instead of hope? I don't know what sometimes make you question whether you can keep on standing. Pushing through the water, in spite of whatever currents are pushing against you. But I do know. I believe with every part of my being that Emmanuel has come. That God is with us that God has been born to us and that God is for us no matter what that hope has come and that his name is Emmanuel that joy is ours as we push through every source of fear or despair, because God is with us. And I wonder if you can imagine. Imagine God standing before you. I don't know what God looks like in your eyes. How you imagine God's appearance. But I wonder if you can imagine God standing before you. With arms outstretched. Right when you're not sure if you can keep on moving. And God's saying to you, just keep coming. Just keep moving. I'm here. I am with you. I will never, ever 
but you 